Say it with me. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Amen. So I want to give you a good thing to think about. We have some pretty amazing people who serve us in so many different ways, right? Well, one of those that I want to just mention, and especially some of these tech people that we don't see, and you know, it's very easy to point out what, when, they're, when things are not going right, and all of a sudden they become very visible. But they do some amazing things, and they serve in other different ways. So um, one of our tech folks, Adam, I think he's hiding um, over there I think he's on the camera, so I can't see him. Is your hand over there or something, Adam? There, there it is. Okay, I see that hand. So yesterday we had a district event of quizzers here and from around New England and a group that was on the other side and with Pastor Leo, and we had a couple teens from our church there observing, and that was kind of great. And Adam's been committed to that ministry for a really long time. But Adam has another ministry that's pretty dangerous, and he goes to the edge with it, and that's this. Let me tell you, I know we have some amazing bakers in our church. Adam is like, he's like a baker on steroids. <laughs> and he said to me yesterday, he said, you know, I have some new recipes I need to work on, and I want to try them out on you. <laughs> but what he did do was, I don't know how many dozens of chocolate chip cookies he made, but he made a bunch of them, and we have like three or four dozen left. So these are the, this is the deal, and these are the rules. When you leave here today, first come, first serve basis, the greeters are going to have the best chocolate chip cookies you could imagine. And you're allowed to have one if there are any left. If you ask for more than one, you're not getting any. You get one. All right? But Adam, thank you so much for those cookies. And let's just thank God for these who serve. People who serve in ways we just don't really even know. And I know you do too. We're going to look at Isaiah 55 today, if you want to go there today, as we wrap up this series. And we're going to go to a place that I have felt all along, even at the start of praying through and thinking about this series, that we need to go. If we're going to talk about thinking. We're going to go to a place that's not easy. But we need to go to but first, let's do a quick recap, okay, over the last several weeks. First of all, let's recap number one. Press rewind, and we remember this. We remember that we need to think about what we think about. And we remember, go ahead, for next slide. These words from, from Dallas Willard, this amazing truth that the ultimate freedom we have is the freedom to choose what we think about, where we put our minds. That's the ultimate freedom in so many ways that we have. And then the second thing we remember is this, that we are the gatekeepers. We are the gatekeepers. And um, we are the ones who have to ask the questions of our minds, of our lives. What am I thinking about? You know, how am I thinking? What is it that influences my thinking, that's impacting my, that's forming my thinking and shaping my thinking? And what is it, and... Am I allowing that to shape my thinking more than Jesus? 
Look at what John Mark Homer said. He reminded us that we have these mental maps, that our lives are built around the mental maps we have. And this is why it's so important. And we talked about why we need to be those gatekeepers. The third thing we talked about was what it means to think about Jesus and what we actually think about Jesus. And again, our friend Dallas Willard said this, the single most important thing in our mind is our idea of God. And we talked about that what we think about Jesus and how we think about Jesus determines whether or not we're part of the 63% who label themselves Christian or the 4% of Americans who actually say, I'm following Jesus. But it's how we think about Jesus that changes all of that, that determines all of that. And then last week, we talked about right-sizing our thinking according to um, ourselves and, and others and God. And we thought about love in, in Romans chapter 12, especially verses 9 through 21. And I hope you were able to read those again. And this is what we learned. William Greathouse said it this way. This is not about love in the abstract. It is a description of what you do when you love. So if you're saying, well, what was the description? Go to Romans 12 and read verses 9 through 21. And there we find that love is not abstract. Love does stuff. Love acts a certain way. And so that's really important. When we start thinking about right-sizing our thinking about ourselves, and one of the things that Paul says in that is he says, you know, don't, don't think too highly of yourselves. Anyway, we found our way through this series of sermons, and I hope that it's kind of at least charted a little bit of a course for you when it comes to um, making 2024 a year of Philippians 4a. But I want to offer you one more thought. It's a thought that we don't like to talk about sometimes. Because too often what we want to do is we, we want to have, we become very content with religious platitudes. We, we, we would prefer to have positive thinking over transformed thinking. And we, we are good at, at least I know I am, I'm pretty skilled at taking the truth of my life and God and bending that all around to try to make it seem happy and good. You say, where in the world are you going? Well, you know, I think there's a question if we're going to start talking about thinking on these things. I think there's a question that we ask of God, which is this. You know, God, what in the world are you thinking? We walk into a circumstance, a place, and we say, what is God thinking? We look out of our world, we we capture the pain and the sorrow and the heartache and the sin. And we say, what are you thinking? Maybe the dream you had is crushed. Or the, the cancer. You know the cancer moved unexpectedly quick. And, you, and you, you're trying to figure out how you got to that graveside. The attitude and the actions of those that you trusted. Maybe even those that 
said they're Christians are so inconsistent with what you know of them or what you know of the faith and it's disappointing. Then it's confusing and you go, God, what, what's that about? Strategic downsizing was just an idea for you. You knew about it, you read about it in the Wall Street Journal. But now you're asking yourself, well, how am I going to make ends meet now? Because it's no longer just an idea. You believe that if you would just trust Jesus, the circumstances would get better. But they haven't. And you might even say they got worse. And it seems impossible to you when you hear all this stuff about a God who loves you, about a Christ who died for you, about someone who forgives you, about a Holy Spirit who wants to live with you all your life. It seems impossible to you that God would want anything to do with you. Because if only, only they knew what's in my heart and mind. God, what are you thinking? It's another way of asking, you know, God, why that? God, God, what happened? God, how am I going to? If that's you, or has ever been you, that's okay. Because you can just get in line with everyone from Job to David to Paul to Jesus who wrestled in the true details of life and the realities we encounter with those questions. My hope today is what it says at the very first verse of Isaiah 55, that you will come and drink from the fountain that is Jesus today. And so we look to Isaiah 55. We, we look to this Old Testament passage that I, I hope and pray will be a rudder, be a rudder for us to steer in the wild ocean and seas of life that we encounter. Isaiah 55, beginning with verse 6. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. 
as the rain and the snow, by the way, Tuesday, snow, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. You think about this verse when, you, when you're looking at that. And they do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth, the Lord says. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire. And yes, Jeff, it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be the Lord for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Amen. Well, what an amazing picture. Words that are filled with astounding and refreshing promises and images. Joy and peace leading the way. Mountains, hills, trees showing their dance moves. I love that. Those skin-ripping thorns and briars being replaced with healing leaves. And the Lord will be famous. Praise God. The very first song we sang about, the Lord will be famous. What an inviting picture this is, but... Here's the, here's the thing, when Isaiah was communicating these words in the 8th century B.C., when he, when he was laying this stuff out, when this was being laid out to those people in their time frame, this was not the picture of their world and life. Uh, these people are sitting still probably in Babylon, still captives. Many of them, most of them, have probably known only Babylon. They've only known captivity all their lives. They only know about the power of God as a story told by others. They look around and all they have known is an impressive system where the poor are abused by the rich, where the powerful do what they want at the expense of the weak, where it seems like God is nowhere in sight and where the whole idea of a spiritual life and has been swallowed up by the sin of the people who are named God's people. The message from the prophet is still true for us today. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Now that's a really important verse of Scripture because it implies something for us. It implies that in this environment, in the environment of captivity, in the environment of it being everything that God would not want it to be, in that environment, in that culture, in those conditions, in, the, in, in, in life and in the world where it seems like God is absent, where it doesn't seem like it is as God desires, this implies that he's near. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. He's talking to people in the midst of a nightmare. 
He's saying that God right there can be found. And that causes this question to bubble up to the surface of my thinking and my heart. Are the places where God seems most absent the places where his presence is most near? Do the situations that seem almost impossible hold the most possibility for Jesus to work? I have a personal love affair with the words of Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. Those words have served as a lifeline for me. It was a couple years ago now that I found myself in a pretty dark place. And these were the words that I had, I just held on to. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Love those words. I return to them often. These people needed that reminder, and I think we need that reminder as well. Because there is much beyond our understanding. There is a lot beyond our understanding. There's many things there are no answers for. And one of our challenges and our our temptations is to try to figure out how to make sense of everything. When I'm not so sure, it always makes sense to God. Hear that. Because it's not what God intends. And I think we're always looking for answers And then when the answers don't come, we equate that with God being something less. And we think that this is unique to us in a moment, but the scripture captures time and again the questions of dark nights and empty spaces. And that tells me that We're not alone in asking those hard questions that feel like they have no answers, and we should, because God's big enough. Those places where we are left to think about what we don't know what to think. What do I think about that? So these words were to people who did not know what to think, especially about God. What in the world is God thinking? Well, you know that question? The question of what is God thinking? Or how, how God, is this going to come about, Lord? How is this going to work out, Lord? What are you doing? What's happening? Those questions are a vital part, a vital part of a life of faith. They're a vital part of developing faith beyond mere belief about God. But trust in what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that Christ is our life. Listen in for a moment. I I don't know how you read the Bible. I hope you don't just read it like 
a sheet of information, but I invite you to try to listen in to the conversations. Listen in to the conversations of Job. Listen in to the very darkest night of Job's soul when his circumstances have become unimaginable. And he's clearly saying in so many ways, how do we get here? How, how did I get here? I mean, I, I loved God. I did everything right. How did this end up? And the people around him were tearing him down. His friends did a great job when they first got to him. They, they were awesome until they started talking. Right? And they start kind of tearing him down and letting him down. Even his own wife said, why don't you just go and curse God and die? Think about this. These people were tearing him down and letting him down. What's happening, God? And it's very clear that he did not see God working, and it's very clear he did not feel God. It's very clear. So what we find is we catch a glimpse of what Job thought about God. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. He knew his heart. And no matter what would happen, he said, my hope is in him. In Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. But this is, this is powerful. And after my skin has been destroyed... Yet in my flesh I will see God. After I've gone through the worst, as I'm in the worst, I believe he lives. I believe he's meeting me. This is what I think about God. Now what's happening? What's happening here? Well, Job is allowing the reality of his life pull away all that stuff in our lives that sometimes prevent us from worshiping, actually worshiping God. So what's happening in my mind is he's allowing the reality of his life to lead him to worship God for God's sake. Period. Not just the God of pleasant circumstances and blessings. He's that too but the God who desires to be worshipped for God alone. Seek the Lord while he may be found, the prophet says. Call on him while he is near. Wow. Wow, what do you think about that? Well, in her book, The Night is Normal, Alicia Britt Cole writes, we continue to study God and life keeps reminding us that our greatest thoughts are still too small and with each cycle of disillusionment, our capacity to love God for who he really is expands. God is profoundly present to you right here, right now. He is the ultimate realist. 
Losing illusions and gaining reality frees you to be more present to him. He is the ultimate realist. We have too often just kind of made God, we've made the Holy Spirit just kind of some abstract idea when we're talking about God, the ultimate realist who is present. He is near. He's among us. And all that brings me back. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, and you see what those words and really what life does, it, it makes me think about what I don't want to think about, which is the mystery of God. We, we want so much to construct this picture of God that's very much so in line with how we want God to be. We, we want God to work in a certain way sometimes, and when he colors outside the lines, for me, that's hard. And it raises questions because, you see, I like words like certainty and predictability. Anyone else? Right? Of course we do. But life does not always work that way, and I know you know that. But here's the other thing. God doesn't always work that way. And here's why. I, you know, on my shelf I have a book from a former professor of mine, Neil Wiseman, and the title of the book is The Untamed God. Do you know God's like Wild. He's untamable. God is not tamed by our expectations, as much as I wish that was true. And when we try to align God with our expectations of how we think the world should work and how God should work in the way we think the world should work, that can be a recipe for despair. Do not hear from me that our expectations, that there's not a place for us to have some expectations about God. I'm not saying that. Remember who our God is. I think there are things we can expect from God. Here's the best truth. God meets us in the wild wilderness of reality. Some of you read Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, the devotional. Maybe you've read that. He was, he was a chaplain, among other things, during the Civil War. And he said something that's very true who, that I've also heard from people who've been in war. But he says it so well. During war, Many come to find the difference between their creed and their God. People have found God by going through hell. And the ones who have been face to face with these things who can understand what Job went through. People have found God by going through hell. 
I mean, you read Job and you see this wrestling match with a lack of certainty in what he thought he knew about God. How he expected God to work. But I love that place in Job where it says, Job said all these things, but he did not sin against God. Which means there's room for us to wrestle. But these words are true. When we reach the point where things simply make no sense, when our thinking about God and life no longer line up, when any sense of certainty is gone, and when we can find no reason to trust God, but we still do, well, that is what trust looks like at its brightest, when all else is dark. Because when we enter into the darkness, we're confronted with questions. Have you ever been confronted with the question, do I really believe in God? Sometimes, in the darkness, we pose that question. But here's, here's the real question we ask in the darkness. Do I really trust God? Right? Am, am I going to trust this God who is so wild and that's where we enter into this mystery, the mystery of the untamed God. But here's the beauty of it. The God who is so untamed that he is present in the worst cases and the dark places. That's how wild and untamed he is. He even goes there. He's not just for all the places that are neat and tidy and predictable. Praise God. So do I trust God is so untamed and wild that he can handle my wilderness. Again, Alicia Cole writes, we have to decide what we love more and what our faith is really in. Is our love and faith in God or in our understanding about God? And often, as she goes on to write, you know, that love and understanding of God is so much, you know, our faith in God is so much bigger than our understanding. He's so much bigger. He's so much bigger than what we see or understand. Knowing God is the God of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, whose ways are higher than my ways and whose thoughts higher than my thoughts. You see, that's a God I can trust in. This God of mystery. Because if I can figure him out, he's not worth trusting. If I can totally figure him out, and we, of course, we, we, we know that 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 leads us into this place of tension in this mystery of God. But my way of thinking is too limited and limiting. 
these people, remember these words, uh, these words were written to captives. Good news was being proclaimed to them. But they were not just captives to their physical captors. Read all of Isaiah and you see it. They They were captive. They were held captive by their fears. They were held captive by their hopelessness. They were chained by their sin. So these words are intended to help them to imagine what they could not imagine, that God was going to do something good. And they could not imagine the possibility of a different story. And some days I struggle to. This is not about what they cannot imagine or understand, but really about what God understands. And God understands they need him. So do we. They need God. This is not about what they could or could not do. It was about what God wanted to do and would do and will do beyond imagination. And so Isaiah 55 starts, Come, come with nothing to the God who has everything. Let me give you an example of God doing something way beyond what's even possible to imagine. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, but he has risen. He is not here. Wow. The God who brings life out of death. Can I really make it through the dark place? Will my fears crush me? Could I ever be forgiven? I cannot imagine that I can. But right before these words, God says, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. And at that point especially, his ways and thoughts are higher and his love and grace are deeper than we could ever imagine. And so the comfort is this. When I understand the least, when the questions remain unanswered, when the path seems hidden and the way seems twisted, when I feel most drawn by temptation and sin, this may be the very place God is going to do his highest and best work. This may be where God is going to extend his deepest and highest grace. There's something about God's movement beyond our human understanding that brings comfort. Jesus said this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with those born of the Spirit. There's an unpredictability. There's a mystery about the way Jesus works sometimes. But absence of something visible or something felt should not be confused with absence of divine activity. I rest when it's uncertain, when anxious voices nag, when larger-than-life fears present themselves, when I feel like I've messed up beyond repair, 
I rest in the truth that God is not overrun by any of it. And that he's working in all of it. Is there a more excellent or praiseworthy thought than that? Tony Evans said this. Let me repeat what I said a few weeks ago. When you have a low view of God, your circumstances own you. A high view of God says the crisis no longer has the final say. When you have a low view of God, your circumstances own you. But a high view of God says the crisis no longer has the final say. And that has nothing about, has nothing to do with how we feel. But that comes from worshiping God. As we wrap up this short series and we prepare to enter into Lent, perhaps pondering the great mystery of God is where we need to end so that we can begin, because Lent is a mystery. Join us this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, as we lean into the mystery. Because if we're going to practice Philippians 4.8, I've said this repeatedly, this is not the power of positive thinking. This is not half a glass half full thinking. This is thinking transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to practice Philippians 4.8, we're going to have to do that in the middle of unanswered questions, confusing developments, unexpected circumstances, difficult conditions in the world, all kinds of situations, good and bad. But there we can hold to the God who is a mystery. God who is a mystery, but we know is love. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And that's what we know about this God who sometimes is so mysterious. We know and we rely on the love God has for us. And if no one's told you this today, hear this. Jesus Christ loves you, has given his life for you, for me, that we may walk into this wilderness of a world with a wild God who will hold us even when we can't feel it, believe it, or sense it. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, is there anything more lovely? Whatever's admirable, if anything 
is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. We're going to sing the song, The Heart of Worship. And as we sing that, Matt Redmond pens those words, and you probably know them. When the music fades and all is stripped away. And for some of us, maybe that's actual music. Maybe that's the instrument itself was like, the, that was the case for Matt Redmond, who had to put it all down. Entire church put it all down. For an extended period of time, stripped it all away. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart. I don't know, but at the end of this series, maybe there's a place in your own life where you say, you know, I just need God to strip this away just so I can love him. Or maybe there's a place you have a question, you just don't have an answer, and it's a dark space. And you just need to say, God, I just need you near. I just need you near in this place of unanswered questions. Or, or maybe, maybe right now you have never felt closer to God. Because of that, you want to strip anything away that would hinder that. As we sing, stand with me please this morning. And as we sing, if you want to come before you leave here today and just kneel and just say, God, I'm just coming. You know all of it. You know what's going on. I just come to you right now. Now's the time. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Draw near to him while he is near. Now's the time. So as we sing, if you'd like to come, I invite you to come. You're welcome to join me as I come. Let's sing together. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God, thank you for the comfort of these words, for the grace in them. As we go from this place, may we go holding and trusting you as you are. In the name of the God who loves us, the Son who redeems us, the Holy Spirit, dwells with us and sends us now to our world in need of God. Amen. God bless you. Don't race to get the cookies. Mm -hmm.